1: Alright, welcome to the Chronic Podcast Christmas Eve edition. That's right, we're doing podcasts on Christmas Eve. It's early in the week, it's Monday, so we're joined by Andrew Juge from the Saints Nation, live via Baton Rouge, because he is in Louisiana spending the holidays with family. Andrew, Saints got to 7 and 8, and I'm going to say, and I said it in my column that Channel 4 posted today, I think this the way the Saints won was absolutely the most perfect way you can win when you're a 6-8 and eight football team. And that's because the Saints showed all their great strengths in their championship offense. They had 500 yards of offense. Drew Brees was outstanding. They even ran the ball 38 times, showed a little power run game, threw it all over the place, and that's why they're a Super Bowl team because of that offense. But they also showed all their fucking flaws that they have in the last five minutes of the game where they don't have a pass rush, their secondary shaky, and even if they finish 8-8, eight and beat Carolina, the front office for the Saints won't be able to go into the offseason and say, well, the last four or three weeks, we fixed that defense, Andrew. we Junior Gallette was fantastic and had five sacks in Martez Wilson. We don't really need to do anything. We can go and not really worry about the defense. We've got these young players that are coming along. Yesterday, to me, burst that bubble completely, even if you were grasping at that. This defense still has huge problems. They still need to figure out a way through the draft or whatever, and at least they even if they go into the offseason at 8-8, eight and eight, they won't be able to fool themselves. And that, to me, is a really good thing.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think it's frustrating when you watch that game in a sense. I mean, obviously, I thought it was a really exciting game. I think if you watch that game the whole way through, there is really no question in my mind who the better team was. Yeah. I really felt like the Saints, from start to finish, kind of dominated that game.
1: 91 and plays. They ran. Yeah,
0: 91. The only thing that really stood in the way to me of a blowout was two big plays by Des Bryant. Um, So really, I mean, you take away Des Bryant and you take away those last two drives where they were down 14 points and kind of made a game of it late by stringing together a couple drives where they were throwing every play. And, And the Saints win that comfortably. So I think you look at that and you're like, well, okay, what was really missing from the Saints? I mean, for me, it's still it's a pass rush because yeah, um, I don't think I think if you think of it in terms of how are they going to do going into the off season, they're not going to pick up the second coming of Charles Woodson or the second coming of Chant Bailey in their prime. You know, they're not going to get a cover corner. At least I don't think. I mean, it would be great if they did, but I don't think they're going to be able to pick up some guy that all of a sudden is going to be able to shut down half the field to yeah. be able to cover a guy like Des Bryant. So the only way they can kind of slow down a receiver of that quality is to get in the quarterback space and not give him any time to throw. And I, I do believe they can get a better pass rush. I think it's going to be easier to do than find um, elite cover corners in the off-season. So um, anyway, that, I think that, that's like you said. I think that lets them know that once again – coming into this offseason, that's that's what they're going to have to do to pick up players that can help improve the defense. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, like I said, it, it really is the difference. It's the difference between winning 38-17 or 38-20 and having that game go to overtime. I mean, that's really all it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, too, is they were up 31-17 with less than five minutes to go. They knew Tony Romo was going to be in the shotgun chucking it every play, and they still couldn't deliver a pass. I mean, that that is tailor-made to, even if you have an average NFL pass rush, you can say, boys, we can pin our ears back and go. And they still couldn't do it. So, to me... Yeah,
0: I think it starts with Will Smith and Cam Jordan. I mean, that, to me, they're just still, they're not consistent enough yeah. um, generating a pass rush.
1: Yeah, and I but the, the one thing about Cam Jordan is he's on the way up, Will Smith is on the way down, so... I mean, you know, it's, it's looking like they're going to pick 16, 17, depending on if they win this week, which is no short thing. Carolina's in the sort of save uh, Ron Rivera job mode. Um, on offense, Andrew, surprised me with – I mean, the, the the sheer number of plays they ran, but also you looked at it and you were like, wow, they ran it for 38 – they ran 38 times for 115 to 116 yards. Um, I thought they had tre- tremendous balance, and I thought they just – Dallas is depleted at at linebacker, so I think the Saints just went in and they. I can't remember a time. Maybe you can point out a specific where the Saints threw so much underneath to the backs and just didn't really. I mean, Colston had the big catch and run, but they weren't push. Drew Brees wasn't pushing the ball downfield. It was dink, 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 dink.
0: Yeah, obviously they saw something on tape, um, and the matchups they felt pretty good about the matchups. So their backs going up against the Dallas linebackers and obviously their liability and coverage and the Saints exposed that repeatedly. I mean, not only did I think they were poor, just running with scrolls or running with Pierre Thomas, but the tackling at the second level by the Cowboys was really poor as well. Um, so the Saints kind of ran circles around them and um, you know, it, it's funny you talk about obviously Henderson's um, had a poor game, but, um, you talk about Joe Morgan, and you know he wasn't targeted one time in that game, but he played a lot. And that's where you're starting to see the value of Joe Morgan
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and him being able to beat teams over the top because Dallas respected that, and they accounted for him when he was in the game, and it stretched the field. And so you, know, you look at the stats and you see that he had no targets and you see that he had no touches, and you may think, as your average fan, well, you know, Morgan didn't really do much. They didn't really have a great game, but that's a perfect example of him stretching the field, making the defenses recognize where he is and accounting for him. And it left a ton of room for the Saints underneath. So, um, you know, respecting that deep throw um, is what opened all that up, and the Saints got the one-on-one mat- matchups they liked, and they were able to kill the Cowboys repeatedly with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Marcus Colson had, tr- had, a- had another – tremendous game that's six out of seven years with a thousand yards and me and Kevin talked about it a little bit in the post game yesterday I, I think it's time to start having the discussion of Colston if you had sort of a Mount Rushmore of Saints players you know I think it's time to argue Colston might be on that you know you have Drew you might have Ricky Jackson Archie Manning Morton Anderson and Deuce and if you had five of them let's say you know, Willie really rough, really rough too. I mean, yeah. but I definitely think you can start, you can start to argue maybe that as much as say Archie Manning or Morton Anderson are beloved Colston is sort of edge, starting to edge one of those out. And I think it's a legitimate argument to have. I just think he's been tremendous and he's, you know, in spite of all his nicks and his foot injury and whatever, he didn't really slow down too much this year. Um, And that's a move where the Saints sort of moved to re-sign him and maybe paid him a little bit more than he may have gotten on the open market. But it definitely – one year into the extension, it was definitely the right move not to let him walk.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. And I I think if you look at the best receivers in Saints history, you know, Eric Martin and Joe Horn are two – Um, I think Colston at this point, I mean, obviously statistically, he's he's starting to pass them in, in all the categories. But um, for me, Colston at this point has kind of surpassed both of them. You know, I think Horn had two or three years where he was really one of the best receivers in the NFL. Um, but he didn't have the consistent longevity um, of, of success that Colston's had. Eric Martin was kind of more like Colston. He was better for a longer period of time. Um, but never put up the numbers. And, and, look, I I think when you look at Drew Brees, uh, and, and Colston has been here the entire time Brees has, so you, and Drew Brees in his six years, Now it's, this is his seventh year, so seven years in New Orleans, um, I would say has been arguably the seven most productive years of, of a seven-year span of any quarterback in NFL history. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that seven-year span you could argue is one of the best, quarterbacking spans ever yeah. and six of those seven years I think you could argue maybe Jimmy Graham last year is the exception but six of those seven years Marcus Goldston has been the best receiver for the best quarterback in a seven-year span yeah so um, when you look at it that way um, you know the, it, it very much is kind of a Montana and Jerry Rice type of tandem and um, based on that I, I think he is one of the best fans for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at Joe Horn's career, I've got it pulled up for me. In 2000, he had, he had 94 catches for 1,300 yards. In 2001, he had 83 catches for 1,265 yards. In 2002, he had 88 for 1,312 yards. Then in 2003, he dropped down to 78 for 973. And in 2004, he went back up to 94 for 1,400. So, I mean... Uh, he had that he had that 5 year run where he was really really you know dynamic but i think like you said colston with with, his, with this year that's 6 out of 7 for 1000 so he's sort of just just starting to you know i think it was joe horn but now he's just starting to edge out in front of him um and i yeah. and i and i think me and you have said this on the podcast i think there's a there's a good chance that as much that as much as colston um uh, as much as Colston has, um, uh, sort of, I think he may age gracefully. Is what I'm trying to say. You know, um, he's been a little nicked up, but I think his, his his size and his body, he doesn't rely necessarily as much on speed. He relies on details and 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 work ethic to sort of get open, and I think there's a chance that he may be sort of like a Marvin Harrison. Where Marvin Harrison, yeah, he declined, but he sort of declined sort of gracefully. And I don't think at the end of his contract he'll be a guy that'll be um, just an albatross on the Saints. I think he'll de- I think he'll de- dec- decline pretty gracefully.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you know, you can't predict if a guy blows out his knee and you know obviously that's a game changer or something like that but um beyond that i I agree i think he ages gracefully because he doesn't rely on his speed like you said and um you know he had trouble getting open his rookie here you know he he was never getting separation from receivers thanks to um his blazing speed and um you know with him it's more about his size and um i think a lot of those guys like megatron i mean Megatron is putting up the best season in, in NFL history as a receiver with on one leg, you know, he, he basically had a bum knee all season and you look at the numbers he's put up this year. And, um, you know, I think Fitz, Fitzgerald kind of is a similar type of mold of receiver. Obviously he has had no quarterback this year, but I kind of think all three of those guys are similar in their style. I think mm-hmm. Colston's maybe lowest of the three, but, um, I, I see all those guys having long NFL careers playing into their mid-30s. Um, you know, in Randy Moss, I mean, he played deep into his career, and uh, Moss is, is similar in some ways. He's a little faster and a little smaller than Colston. Um, but I, I think those big receivers that uh, can hurt teams in a number of ways, um, you know, they, they age more gracefully because, you know, I mean, it's it's like the, the polar opposite of a guy like, let's say, Deshaun Jackson, where – Beatus is really his only asset, and once he loses a step, you know, in his early 30s, he's just not going
1: to be as good of a football player. Yeah. So, well, I mean, and this look, the, the way the Saints operated on offense yesterday, I mean, it just, it just, to me, it was a clear picture that, yeah, look, they weren't as good, and, and they'll, when they get Sean Payton back, I think there's a chance to be even better. You worry about them, obviously, another year, or they're a year older, because this core group has been together a while, but... The line is still relatively young and they're going to be, as long as Drew Brees is pulling the trigger, they're still going to be really, really explosive on offense. Um, And like you said, they'll have Joe Morgan. Um, You know, they may, you know, if Devery Henderson, if they decide if if, if he move, they move along from him, you know, I really think the way the Saints offense is set up, Andrew, they can go out and get a veteran guy that's on the downside and they're m- much more likely, because of Drew Brees and because of Sean Payton's offensive genius, able to squeeze a guy and get something out of him that's a veteran that a lot of teams think would be washed up, where if you put him on a, you know, like Braylon Edwards, everybody says, oh, he's crappy, he's washed up with the Jets, you know. But Sanchez is terrible, and their offensive coordinator's terrible. The Saints could, you know, not saying that they should, but I could see them bringing a the guy like Braylon Edwards – sort of say, hey, Braylon, we're just going to play you a little bit a little, little bit of time. You're going to catch 30 to 40 balls and getting the maximum out of him because the Saints' scheme and talent around him is so good. So I don't really worry about them at receiver too much now that Joe Morgan's come along. I think they're pretty settled there going into 2013.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see someone step in and kind of replace Devery as a deep threat. You know, I know Joe Morgan is, is one already, but – I think we've seen that offense work the best when they have two, you know, not just one guy and, you know, historically it's been Minshew and Henderson together. So I'd love to get one more field stretching guy to replace Henderson. Um, and I don't think Nick Tune. I, I still think there's a place for Nick Tune on this offense, but I don't think he's that guy that's going to, uh, vertically, uh, challenge defenses. Mm. So, um, that, that's the one thing I, I think in the off season, you'd like to add a little bit more speed at the position, but, uh, no, and you know we talked about this this year how the Saints haven't handled adversity very well, um, and I, I think they came in. That, that this was an example of a game where they didn't really face much. Now the the game itself um, had some ebbs and flows, and, and there were lots of ups and downs. But I feel like offensively they came up with a good plan that worked pretty much throughout the game. Yeah, um, there was no period where we really felt like. Dallas had figured out the Saints and come up with some big stops. I mean, you know, obviously Hartley had the missed field goal, and um, there was a couple things that happened that prevented the Saints from scoring, but in general, I really felt like, you know, Jimmy Graham had the big drop that forced him to punt, but in general, other than mistakes like penalties and drop passes and missed field goals, um, the Saints really controlled the tempo. They really controlled um, the game, and they were dominating. And so, they came in with a game, good game plan, and so there was no need to really um, make any adjustments. And from that standpoint, um, the offense was kind of seamless. And, and we've seen that at times this year where they come in with a good game plan, no need for adjustments and things work. Um, that hasn't happened all season. And um, like you said, you know, when we talk about them missing Sean Patton, um I don't really feel like this was a game that really showed um, how much they missed him because the offense was clicking from minute one. Yeah. Um, but, but there is going to be game, you know, we've seen countless games this season, um, where they have had to kind of weather a storm or make adjustments, and that's where they've been poor. Um, so fortunately for us, the fans, you know, I mean, these games don't mean much, and, um, you know, it, it's nice to see the Saints for the last two weeks kind of have some good wins. Um, but, you know, k- kudos to the coaching staff the last two weeks. It seems like they've come in really prepared.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've, they really, yeah. They really coached the pants off the teams the last two weeks. And and to me, the weird thing was, I don't know if it's that stadium, Andrew, with Dallas or whatever, but to me, for Dallas fighting for their life, uh, for the playoffs, that stadium was really quiet yesterday. Now, I know the Saints sort of – the offense that you say, they were always rolling, so that could play a part. But that game, you know, it was 14-14, 17-17, and I never felt like they – the crowd was into it at all. I mean, they got into it when the Dallas made the move late, but besides that, it it really was kind of a like a quiet, dull kind of stadium. And just to, I mean, just to flip it around, think of it: if the Saints had been eight and six, playing at home yesterday, playing Dallas in the dome, and needing to win the last two, the dome would have been bonkers. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but that stadium just seemed kind of dead. and the Cowboys seemed kind of lifeless, and like you said, I thought Des Bryant kind of bailed them out and got them going. They didn't really seem as ready to play as an 8-16 and 16 should have been.
0: Well, I think that just goes to show, I mean, the Saints have played two 500 teams in a row, and, uh, right, and I feel like now you're seeing the difference between teams like that and teams like the Giants, teams like the well, obviously, the Giants are a bad example because they're starting to fall apart now, but they've won Super Bowls the last few years. Um, so the Giants, the 49ers, who are an elite team, the Falcons, who have the best record in the NFL currently. So, um, I, I think you look at teams like that that are kind of middle of the road teams that haven't really had success in the playoffs versus you know some of the more elite teams in the league. And, uh, I think you saw even though the Saints won that in overtime on the road, um, I think. You know, you really saw that a team like Dallas and a team like Tampa has no business um, being having a record that's similar to the Saints, and that's the part that's really too bad because you just felt watching those two games like, wow, the Saints really are superior, and uh, it's just too bad that they couldn't get their shit together better this year. But um, you know, I mean, that, that that's how I feel about the Bucks and the Cowboys. They're they're close to 500 because they have talent, but they have major flaws. And obviously the Saints do too, but um, I just feel like if they're getting anything out of their defense and their offense is firing on all cylinders, um, they're back to a 13-3 team like they were last year pretty
1: quickly. Yeah, I mean, the, the Saints, you know, the coaching minute, they, they, the injuries weren't so, so bad for the Saints. I mean, they didn't lose anybody um, critical. Um, they had some people get banged up, I mean, and they, they had – Jabari Greer get a concussion against Dallas in the secondary sort of collapse, and I would I would doubt he would play against Carolina. So, um, you know, I would expect to I would expect I would expect Steve Smith to have at least a buck seventy five and two scores uh, next week in the dome. Um, but this this team, Andrew, is as we sort of look at this year, you know, the the weird thing is, you know, they had the four game losing streak to start the year, they had a three game losing streak, all the rest of the games. The only team that beat them was Denver, which is very, very, you know, uh, very, very uh, – it's it's a very, very – it'll be a very, very strange season for a team to get to 8-8. Eight, to eight and, eight. and I, I don't – you know, I wonder, maybe ESPN will pull it up, but I would wonder if there's ever been a team that has had a four-game losing streak and a three-game losing streak in a season and gotten to 8-8. Eight I mean, it's just—it's just—it's sort of very bizarre that they're going to get to eight and eight with—with with the long losing streaks that they've had.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a season of streaks for the Saints. They kind of put some good good games together and some forward ones together. Um, you know, I think part of that three-game losing streak was a combination of playing elite teams with good defenses and Breeze just having his worst. You know, the kind of his interception binge we talk about, and, and so, you know, at that point, I mean, it, it was just playing good teams that I think were better than the Saints and outplayed them, um, but early in the season, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, obviously they just weren't ready. Um, with Cromer, the, the coaching staff didn't have the players prepared, and Cromer um, was maybe in over his head, and, and uh, the team just wasn't prepared. They weren't prepared to play, and honestly, those first four games of the season, um, they had some weak opponents in there. I mean, my God, Kansas City. I still don't understand how we lost that game, but um, I really feel like they could have played just about anybody and lost. I mean, I think, you know, if they had played LSU or, you know, I mean, obviously that's getting ridiculous, but I'm just saying, you know, I think a very weak opponent, case in point with Kansas City early in the season, the Saints were just so ill-prepared. It was going to be tough to get some wins. But uh, I do feel like they're kind of peaking a little bit, and I I feel like there's been so much pressure on Breeze and this team, and they just feel like, you know, they've had this us-against-the-world mentality, and and there's been such a low margin for error right from the very beginning because of how they started that there has been a lot of pressure on Drew shoulders. And um, the last two weeks, I really feel like we've seen their best football, and I think part of the reason for that is they know they're eliminated and the games don't matter, and so they don't feel that pressure. You know, they've been more relaxed, and so – um hopefully that's a good lesson for those guys, you know, going into next year that, um, you know, they'll start with a clean slate at 0-0. They won't feel that pressure of, God, we lose a game and it's over. You know that that, that you know these games they matter yeah. so much. But I really feel like if they can start with a clean slate next year, and get out of the gate and play a couple games like they did to end this season, you know, blow out a team like Tampa Bay, play a tough game on the road against a decent team and get an overtime win. You know, if they can start a season like that 2-0, and um, then you know, you're playing with a lot of confidence as opposed to being in a hole and trying to dig yourself out.
1: Yeah, and the 2013 schedule, they play the AFC East, and look, the Jets are in fucking disarray, and they are locked into Sanchez. They cannot cut his ass, so the Jets are going to be just as putrid next year. The Bills, they have been putrid going on a decade, you know. The Dolphins.
0: Yeah, the the
1: Dolphins could be interesting. They're seven and eight. I like Tannehill. I've watched him this year. My wife is a Dolphin fan. I like Tannehill. I think they're going. I think the the Dolphins, if they can get themselves Brandon Marshall, who they traded away for the Bears for nothing, if they can get a good number one receiver, they could be pretty good. Um. Then they play the. I think the, they're
0: going. To, I think. I think they're going to lose Bush, though. I think he's going to be a free agent, and go elsewhere. So that yeah, might a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, he'll he'll uh, he'll get he should get a nice little he'll probably get a nice little payday, um, from a team that can you know if you you wouldn't want him as your feature back, but if you if you can pair him with somebody or maybe, you know, where Reggie Bush might go, Andrew Green Bay, they're desperate for a running back, and they throw the ball all all, all the time. I mean. Reggie Bush might be a really nice fit for them, um, but they that'd be the same. What's that?
0: I think that'd be a great fit.
1: Yeah. So I mean, they have they play the AFC East and they play the NFC West, which San Francisco, Seattle are good, but Arizona, hell, you don't know what they're going to do at quarterback, and they might even fire their coach. So if you get them early, that may be a good spot. And um, the Rams with Jeff Fisher. Um, they're coming on, and they have a t- they have a ton of draft picks from the RG3 thing. So the schedule for next year, eh? Um, but I, d- I do like the AFC East playing that because I think you have I I think you have the Patriots is a tough one, and the other three you'll definitely be favored. Um, Andrew, this this defense, um, they're probably going to lose Cedric Ellis, uh, they're probably going to lose uh Will Smith and Vilma and probably I think Roman Harper because it just seems to me that Andrew if you just by the, the numbers I did it a uh, sort of a back of the napkin thing when they posted it this week on pro football talk if you get rid of Vilma if you get rid of Will Smith and you get rid of Roman Harper you got about 90% of your cap issues figured out as far as getting you under the cap and not having to lose too many people so I think all those three guys are gone so let's play let's play it and say hey they get rid of Harper they get rid of Will Smith they get rid of Uh, Vilma and they're drafting now look you don't know who's going to be available but let's say in in my scenario the Saints are drafting and they have a defensive end a linebacker and a safety all with equal draft grade you're in the Saints world who do you stand on the table and say we have to pick this position if they're all equal
0: if they're all equal, I think it's a no brainer that you get a pass rushing defensive end, an explosive guy off the edge that you compare with Cam Jordan um, that, you know, I, I think maybe is a little raw and struggles a little bit against the run early in his career. Um, but you kind of deal with that and, and you suffer through um, growing pains and run stopping. Um, but you you kind of benefit from his ability to get to the quarterback. So that that would be my vote. Um At safety, I feel pretty good. I feel like, uh, you know, they have developed now. They didn't have great games yesterday, but I do think abdul Caduce and Rafael Bush have shown me a lot this year. They're good young players. They're phenomenal special teamers. They tackle well. Um, They've got better ball instincts than most safeties I've seen come through um, in recent years for this Hazlitt regime. So, um, for me, I feel decent about the safeties. Maybe they can pick up another guy and, I know they like Jericho Nelson, too, um, who just got called up to the active squad. So um, I feel like they've got a little bit of youth and talent at safety, and you don't want to waste a first-round pick on a safety, generally speaking. So um, that feels okay, even if they lose Harper. Um, At linebacker, they're going to have to do something. I don't know if it's draft a guy or maybe they can land a a cheap free agent. But uh, with Vilma being gone, I I think you're – You've got it locked with Lofton and, and Hawthorne, and I think you to see if can come in and give you a decent nickel guy. So um, that feels pretty good, but I'd love to have one more. And, you know, Chamberlain, I still think Chamberlain's kind of your ace in the hole as kind of a utility um, Swiss Army knife linebacker that comes in if there's injuries or something like that. So um, I think Shanley's another guy that you had mentioned that's probably going to be gone too. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, he's he's pretty much already gone. So um, that would be the last thing I would say is let's get one more linebacker. But back to your question, you know, if I'm picking between those three positions with a first round pick, got to be a pass rushing defensive end. Period.
1: How much? How much do you think they'll they'll miss Cedric Ellis, and how hard will it be to replace him? Because I think he's he's gone.
0: I don't think it'll be too bad because of the piss poor effort they've gotten from him for the most part of the season. Now, he has played harder and better in more recent weeks. So I do feel like he has kind of put, put forth a little bit more effort, and I, I've noticed his contributions more, which has been positive um, in the last, uh, I, I'd say, four or five weeks. But uh, I think Akeem Nix is going to be primed to, to kind of be vaulted into the starting lineup. And you've got to keep – if you're going to draft the pass rushing end, and the liability against the run, you've got to keep Roderick Bunkley because he's a guy that, um, yeah, that's what he does best. So he's got to be in there. So I really feel like that's a decent tandem between Hicks and, and Bunkley. And I still feel pretty good about Tom Johnson. I think Tom Johnson's main issue has always been health. Um, mm-hmm. But if he can stay healthy and he can play, um, he's a good rotational guy. And uh, so then, you know, you're just looking maybe for one more. Maybe Tyrone uh, Walker will get mm-hmm. more of a chance next year. He was an impressive player in preseason. Um, that never really got a chance this year. But you kind of look at this year as maybe a little bit of a redshirt year for him. Mm-hmm. He'll get some more opportunities next year. But I, I think depth and youth at defensive tackle is pretty good, too. Um, so uh, I, I think I feel decent about the depth and the young guys that can come in and replace both Ellis and um, and uh, Roman Harper. I do not feel good about the youth and depth at defensive end. So they've got to they've got to figure out something if they
1: lose Will Smith. Yeah, I mean it'll 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 be interesting because I I just I don't see them having like you've said I they'll get though Mickey Loomis will figure it out how to get them under the cap. I just don't see them having a lot of flexibility and being able. I don't think they're going to sign any. And I, go on record right now. I don't think they're going to. They they will not sign any significant. Free agent for any significant amount of money or length of contract. You know they're gonna they'll bar, they'll bargain shop after the draft with veterans and they might sign a got they might sign name that you recognize on like a one year deal or something. But Andrew, I just don't see them say when once free agency starts, them sa- signing the Bunkley or the Lofton. I just I don't I don't see it. But you're the salary salary cap whiz.
0: Well, no, I, I, right now they don't have the – mathematically, it, it can't work. So, um, now, I wouldn't rule out if the Saints find a guy that they want and they really feel like they were one guy away or one guy at one position away from really being good. I, I don't. I wouldn't put it against them to be creatively fine, you know, someone that's going to help them, um, you know, improve a position because um, you look at Ingram, they didn't really need a running back. Yeah, they found a guy they liked. They had already drafted Cam Jordan, and, and they decided, no, uh, look, this guy can help us. Let's go out and get him. And so they traded picks, and they were able to get Ingram too. And I, uh, another example this year, they figured out a way to offer in Curtis Lawson, They figured out a way with tight cap situation to offer them backloaded deals with really cap friendly deals for the first year. Uh, so I still I still believe that will be true. Uh, I, I think there's going to be less flexibility than ever. Um, but I, I do think if they identify one guy in free agency where Sean Payton or Mickey Loomis says, you know what, this guy's going to make a big difference, I would not put it past them um, to go out there and make a splash and surprise some people just because, um, you know, and, and that, that may take cutting someone. You know, it may take re- restructuring Breeze's deal. It may take something significant to pull yeah. that off. Um, but I still think the organization and the coaching staff and Benson – are in the mindset that, hey, this is our window to win. Yeah. And this, this is, Your Breeze is prime. We still have a shot. So if, if there's an opportunity to get something that boosts our team and strengthens our chance of going far, let's do it. We'll bite the bullet and do it and suffer the, the consequences later because this is our window. And, you know, three years, four years from now, you know, we might end up being a rebuilding team. Or if Breeze gets injured, we might go 3-13. and 13, But this is our window, and we've got to – Maximize our odds of winning while that window is open.
1: Yeah, I think it. I think it. The scenario you just laid out could happen, and the re, And but I really think it won't be a case where the Saints jump in and make a splash and sign a guy to a huge deal. I think it. The scenario you just laid out was happened with Curtis Lofton, where he went shopping for a big contract. Teams were like, "We don't pay linebackers." Huge guaranteed money anymore, Atlanta offered him a nice contract. The Saints offered him one a little bit better, so the Saints sort of jumped in and saw an opportunity to get a guy at the price that they wanted and yeah, they might have to create a little room to do it, and they'll do it, but I don't think they're going to go out and get you know they're not going to go out and get Mario Williams and pay a hundred million. I think it a case like that would be let's say the Giants get rid of o cmanura. And he shops himself around, and he doesn't get the mega deal that he wants, or even a, a really nice deal. And then Steve Spagnuolo would say, "Hey, I think he's got something left. Let's try to make a deal. The Saints bring him. That Saints bring him on on a decent contract, but it's not a big, huge money deal. And it's just sort of, sort of something the Saints get a guy that they really like at their price, because they don't have a huge amount of flexibility to go spend, sort of like Tampa did, where they Just said, Carl Nix, name your price. Vincent Jackson, name your price.
0: Oh, yeah, they won't be able to go on a free agency bench like that for sure. But, no, you're exactly right. I mean, there's going to have to be some bargaining, and hopefully they can get a guy on a little bit of a song. Um, But the foundation is laid. You know, Curtis Lawson is the foundation of the defense now. Breeze is the foundation. I mean, they've already spent kind of on their horses. Uh, So now it's kind of building around those foundations and kind of – you know, filling in the gaps. So, um, the only real foundation piece I think they really have is a first round pick, but if it gets kind of below much below 15, um, then it's kind of hard to draft a guy that's going to be a real foundation player, you know, after, after the top 12 or so. So, and now with these last two wins, it's looking unlikely that they're going to get, um, a guy that's, that's going to be a perfect player. You know, they're going to have to draft a guy with some flaws. Um, so, you know, it is what it is, but once again, I think if you're going to give me a guy with flaws, give me a guy that's raw or, or struggles against the run, but is an elite pass rusher.
1: Well, here's a question for it. Well, and we'll get into this uh, more so when draft time, when we study, when we study the draft, and you have players that you really like, and I really like. But because the Saints have lost draft picks because of the. The bounty thing and let's say they get the second round pick. How amenable would you be for the Saints to say, hey, we like player X at defensive end, Mingo or whoever, and we're gonna give up our second round pick in a fourth and we're going up to seven to get him. Do you think they need quantity of player or do you take do you roll the dice on the one good rookie player and give up some picks to get him?
0: Um I think I think depth has been an issue for the Saints this year. So I think quantity might be a little bit better than quality at this point. I think the Saints have um, gotten to a point where they, they need more cheap labor. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because they, they've invested so much in their key players yeah, um, that now they, they need more of the junior galettes. They need more guys like that. Um, I think the problem has been less that um, – You know, the starters are what they are, but I just feel like the minute you lose um, a corner, and you saw that with Jabari Greer, who was out the first game, and Corey White came in, and it was a disaster. I mean, he started the first game, and basically the first four weeks, Corey White had as much to do with the Saints starting 0-4 as anyone, uh, because teams were just repeatedly picking on him, and he was getting torched. Um, And so I really felt like the depth of corner once you lost Jabari Greer, and you saw it again in the Cowboys game, once you lose Greer, um, the Saints are just completely decimated at cornerback. And it kind of felt that way at linebacker, too. They didn't have Vilma. They didn't have Hawthorne. And uh, Chamberlain was out for the year. So starting week one, I can't even remember who the starters were anymore. I think it was Shanley and maybe Casillas. But, um, you know, the linebacking core was a disaster. So I really feel like the depth, especially on defense, on the defensive side, but maybe even really on the offensive line, too, I mean, years ago, we had Streif as a backup tackle, and even Goodwin, who ended up becoming the starter, was a backup guard and center.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so I, I feel like they've got a decent player in Olson, and he's gotten some good reps this year. Um, but I really feel like they need to reload a little bit with their depth mm-hmm. because that's where players have left them, and uh, they, have, they haven't been as good as years past. So I, yeah. I, I kind of feel like quantity over quality. I mean, I still – if you were I'm still singling out the real need for this team to have better pass rushing as a talent. So if you're giving asking me what specific specialized talent I want, I would say give me more pass rushers, guys that can get to the quarterback. But um, I, I do feel like depth is more at a premium right now for the Saints than adding just one guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I think I think you're right, and I think I think all. Elite teams go through that because your salary cap, you have to pay your stars, and you you have to have the influx of sort of the cheap labor. Um, and speaking of the guy who's on the cheap labor is Jimmy Grammy's on his his uh, his rookie contract. He's got one more year, and then they'll have to figure out what to do with him. And I just want to give you know did it on the podcast, the, the post game show yesterday, but give him major props. Yes, he's been struggling. We've been you know at, he's had a down year, but he busted up his finger yesterday, and he fought through it, and he made the winning play. And to me, that shows me Andrew that he has bought into the Saints culture completely, and that is a good sign. And I think, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna be okay. And he'll, he's still been good tight end. A, you know, top five. But I think if he's healthy, he'll bounce back next year, and he'll probably be elite in the one or two or three guy next year. And it just—he showed me a lot yesterday, um, and I'm—I'm I'm not worried about him at all going forward.
0: No, uh, you know, I think the fact that he's so beat up about the season he's had—if you look, like he, there's a good chance he's going to make the Pro Bowl. Um, he's going to end the year about, you know. 70 catches for 950 yards and double-digit touchdowns. I mean, he's going to be somewhere in that neighborhood. So he's had a good year statistically. I think we've all, as Saints fans, seen that his year's been pretty miserable based on the standard he set last year. But um, you're absolutely right, Ralph. I think it's really important for him. Uh, I'm really encouraged to see him be so disappointed in the year that he's had Um, because that means that he's not going to settle for being the best tight end in the NFL. He's not going to be satisfied or content with being some guy that's, you know, just comfortably in the top five, top 10. Um, He's a guy that wants to be elite. He wants to be the best. And um, injuries have really hampered him. But uh, I I tell you what, you know, and he had some maddening drops again in this game and, That's something that I'm sure he'll take very seriously in the offseason. I have no doubts that Jimmy Graham is going to work really hard. Mm -hmm. And this season is to serve as a motivator for him to kind of get his shit together. But um, for him to dislocate his pinky, I mean, you could see it on on, on the field. I mean, it was completely out of place. Looked disgusting. Comes back on the sidelines. They pop it back in place, and you can just see how much pain he's in. I mean, he's really hunched over and, for him to come back in the game in overtime two plays later after that happened, I think to me, like you said, speaks volumes that he is bought in that this guy's a professional that he doesn't care. You know, the game was on the line and he wanted to be in there because he knew he gave his team the best chance to win. And out of nowhere, I mean, he's kind of the one complaint I've had about him is he jogs a lot, kind of piss poor effort. Um, You know, just, He takes – he's lazy with his technique and and those sorts of things, and that's what I've seen all season, which is frustrating. For him to beat a safety to the ball, who's presumably faster than him, and and the hustle that I saw for him to get on that ball and absorb a bunch of contact after he basically just broke his pinky um, showed me kind of the heart, the courage, and the warrior beast attitude that I've been looking for, for from him all season long. And uh, so for me, that that was enough just to see that. Honestly, he could not play in this last game. You know, get healthy in the off season, get refocused. I've got no worries about Jimmy Graham.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just a, it was just a it was just a great play, and I think it's a, that was
0: a big statement. Didn't you feel like that? I mean, it, yeah, it was just one play, but I feel like that play needed needed to happen to Jimmy Graham for his own confidence, for the confidence of the organization. For the fans, I, I feel I felt like that one play was a big season. Like, yeah, I've played like shit this year. Yeah, this season's kind of sucked, but I'm I'm gonna win this game for this team. I'm gonna get that loose ball, even though I just dislocated my pinky. And you guys have nothing to worry about because I'm gonna come back next year stronger.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I just you know being in the game and making the play is one thing but he could have easily said you know what we're six and eight my pinky just is is completely fucked I'm done for today and yeah and the Saints would have been like what I don't think they'd have said no dude get in there it'd have been like okay but he put it back in and I'm getting out there and I think that's just important for young players to sort of buy into the Saints culture and it starts with the coaches and, and Drew Brees especially and I just think it 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 was the best uh, single the single as far as an individual player the single best thing I saw yesterday was that. Um,
0: no, I, that's a great point you just made, Ralph. Is it's not even just about Jimmy Graham. I, I think that's the biggest takeaway, obviously, but it's also the message it sends to the other players, and that's been the attitude. I, I don't care. I mean, you know, obviously we said you know, hey, I, we want draft picks, but. That's and us. So that's not the lose, team. I
1: don't want the team to quit. I want, you know, I can. Yeah, the, no,
0: the, the team, the effort, the yeah. effort that they have had in these last games, which are, were meaningless, have to impress you that this is, the, we're, we're not the Bills. We're not going to mail it in. We're not some organization Tennessee. that's just, yeah, it's just going to, you know, get injured, you know, get get a little nicked up and, you know, you know I'm shutting it down. There's It's not worth it for me to risk my contract, no you know, these games mean something. Those players are still fighting. And and like you said, I think that it's something about the character of this team which helped them win a Super Bowl that was embodied in that play that Jimmy Grant made because of the fact that he was injured two plays before. And, you know, you've got a lot of young, impressionable 20- to 25-year-olds with talent on the roster that maybe don't get to play that much. And like you said, that sends the message throughout the locker room. That this is how you play Saints football. Yeah, and that's I'd... important. I think that, that If you're on the Bills and your team's shutting it down and your third string tight ends in the game because the starter broke his pinky and he's trying to get after a fumble and he doesn't recover it because, and the starter might have gotten it, all of a sudden you lose the game and people are pointing fingers in the locker room and you, you've got a cancer for, for the next year. You know, it's basically. That stuff—it starts to—it's like dominoes.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I—I I can remember, you know, the Saints under Sean Payton, you know, they—they they have said, hey. New Orleans is a crazy kind of town and we need to bring in the we need to bring in the right kind of player. And they haven't strayed from that. Even in free agency when they had the bumps right before the Super Bowl at seven and seven, seven and nine, eight and eight. They didn't stretch and bring in a bad character guy, and I don't think they're gonna start this off season. And look, a lot of teams when they have a really good locker room or they think they do, they're like, you know what? We could bring in one bad guy, but he'll be okay because we've got all these good guys. And, you know, the Saints, under Jim Hazlitt, they they thought they had a good locker room. They really didn't. And they brought in Dale Carter, who was just a fucking train wreck of a, of a human being. Forget it. You know, mm-hmm. But he had a lot of talent. And they brought him in. And, oh, he'll be fine. We, we've got a strong locker room. We'll, we'll give him a lot. No. And the locker room deteriorated further. And I think the Saints, that's one of the things I, you know, I really like, you know, I like about them and they stick to their 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 principles and convictions. Not that as a fan, look, I know they're not choir boys and I, if they win on Sunday I could I could give a shit. But I think over time when you bring in one bad guy, then another, then another, you eventually erode and it eventually catches up to you off it it, it catches up to you on the field. So that's a, it's a, it's a good sign with the Saints Andrew um and just yeah, I mean,
0: I think if you ask Sean Payton how he feels about this team, um, I really feel like he would say, I'm proud of him.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think
0: he would feel that way because despite all that they've been through, despite the fact that from a result standpoint, it was disappointing to all parties mm-hmm. involved, fans, players, organizations, um, I think the way this team is stuck together and the way they've kind of navigated some very rough seas and very rough terrain, um, for them to come out of that, and still play hard, still play for each other, and not point fingers. I mean, the one thing you've got to say about the Saints is, even though they've had a bad season, not once have we heard the train wreck of T-Bow and Sanchez, where <laughs> quarterbacks, you know, like the Jets, where players are pointing fingers at each other. Not yeah. once have we heard a player say, hey, I should be playing more. And there was were, were plenty of opportunity for Ingram or Pierre Thomas to bitch about how they didn't get more touches. Or for Lance Moore to say, "Hey, throw me the damn ball. I'm the best receiver on the team." There was never any of that, but there was ample opportunity. And so I think once again, you look at that, and I think if you ask Sean Payton how he feels, um, I think he comes out of it, even though they're seven and eight, pretty proud of the yeah. cast.
1: the one, the one interesting thing, and I don't think we'll ever get a, I don't think we'll ever get a clear answer from the Saints because the answer to the question, even if it would be honest, it would be, it would be throwing people under the bus, or maybe even themselves, and I don't think they'll do it. But I would love to sort of get in a room with Joe Vitt and Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton and say, look, when you got suspended, this was your this was your plan that you went with, Cromer and Vitt, and it didn't work out the first six weeks. What went wrong, and how do you think you could have done it that it would have been better? Because it's, it's one of those scenarios where the Saints didn't have anybody really – to say, hey, you remember that time when you got suspended for a year? Uh, what would you do to figure that out? Like there was, there, was no, there was no book or no roadmap to figure it out. I would be really interested to get like the honest answer from Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton and Vince. It's like, oh, man, you know, we, we thought Cromer was going to – we thought it was going to do this, and it just didn't. And, God, if we, we should have – you know, it, I know it's second-guessing, but I, I, I really think it will be, be an interesting answer. Andrew, that we'll never, will never get from the Saints because they'll, they'll never say it because it would be throwing Cromer under the bus. It would be throwing, you know, Vit yeah. and all that. But it was a really interesting well, answer. give my theory. Okay, what's your theory?
0: My theory is that when Sean Payton found out he was suspended, he worked very hard for about three weeks to put together a plan. And I think for the most part, they followed that plan to a T. And so the, the mentality was for minute one, Sean Payton is the coach. This is his plan. We're just going to carry it out. Yeah. And I think that the tragic flaw in that design is that there are so many ebbs and flows to an NFL season. that A lot of times you have got to throw out the playbook. You've got to burn your your plan and say, hey, this isn't working. We're going with this. And I think that's what Sean Payton does almost better than anyone. Yeah. And I think that's a big – I actually think that the plan – really went against what sean payton does best which is make adjustments and so i think um look they weren't going to fake parcels, which i thought was a brilliant idea they weren't going to bring in a guy if they were committed to bringing sean payton back they weren't going to bring in a guy that was going to say okay i make the rules pal we're, it's not sean payton's team this year it's my team and I think that would have served them better from a result standpoint because they would have had something to answer to, or at least it would have been some guy communicating his message in his own way, as opposed to other guys delivering a message for someone that's not there. Yeah. So uh, to me, that's the tragic flaw. The tragic flaw, it's not so much Cromer or Vid. I don't think you can point to one guy. It's guys that are trying to follow a blueprint that's been laid out for them. I think Sean Payton took, Three weeks to really take his time to he, – he said this before he got suspended, that he, he takes the time to plan his whole season, you know, in the offseason. He plans when the workouts are going to be, when they do this, when they do that. And because Vitt – I mean, Vitt was basically Sean's messenger boy, but he wasn't in a position to say, you know what, I'm the head coach. I don't like this. This is my team, so this is what we're going to do. And I think sometimes teams need that a little bit. They need that order. They need that direction. And they need things to be fresh, you know. And so I think it's a nice thing to have kind of an unpredictability in that sense. And I think the plan was kind of followed to a T because um, I I almost feel like it would have been better if Sean wasn't coming back. And it's like, okay, it's my team now. And we're going to do things my way. But the whole year has been we're doing things Sean's way. And I think it's just left for – less um, adaptability.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I I I agree with that and I think I think the the one issue was the, the 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 thing that really I think did the saints in as far as killing their playoff hopes entirely was when they suspended Sean Payton for the year and Joe Vitt for 6. You had to slide in somebody else in for 6 weeks and that really Sort of probably screwed up the messaging and the coaching among the coaches. Whereas if you'd have had Joe Vitt from I think from week one, I think the message would have been the same. And I don't I think the, the he would have he would have been more apt to make changes quicker than Cromer was because Cromer knew he was only going to be in charge for six weeks. How in charge really was he? And I really think if you look back at it, the Joe Vitt suspension probably cost them maybe. The playoff spot. I don't think they'd have won the Super Bowl without Sean Payton. But I think if they'd have had, say, they'd have sh- suspended Sean Payton for the year and Joe Vitt would have been there for six, I think they'd still be fighting for a playoff spot. But you know, I'm with
0: you. Yeah.
1: So Andrew, let's get to the the season finale. The Saints will wrap it up against Carolina. They're five, four and a half to five and a half point favorite, depending where you look. Carolina has been playing really well. Uh, Cam Newton's season, for everybody knocking him and saying that he's a bust and all this, his season is almost identical to last year. Um, Carolina's playing – they're playing really well on offense. He, he's really hot. Um, how do you see this game going? I think the Saints, like you said, the Saints are going to be playing a win, and I think Carolina is going to be playing a win. So I think it has a – I think it has a chance to be a really – interesting, fun game as far as a pan, fan perspective. I'm looking forward to going to it. Um, I don't think you'll see any quit from either team. So how do you expect it to go?
0: I think uh, a lot of Saints fans are probably feeling like they've righted the ship after two nice wins and um, feeling good about the Saints in the year 8-8. Eight and eight. But uh, Carolina's already beaten the Saints once, and I think they're a good team, and I think they've surprised a lot of people with the way they've played the last five weeks, and uh, they're, they're hot. 13. It's coming into the Superdome very hot, and I think it's going to be challenging. Um, I think Cam Newton is playing probably his best football of his career right now, and um, you know he, he's had a lot of success against the safe defense. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a barn murder.
1: Yeah, I mean i think I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be really interesting, and i, I I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna predict the team that wins is going to be in the 40s. You know, I, I just
0: yeah, yeah. I don't think Carolina's defense is great, and they're banged up. So, yeah, I, I could easily see it being like a forty-one to 38, 41 to thirty-four
1: type game. Yeah, I mean, there's and there's always one. Of, there's always one of those games, the last week of the year, that's like not really playoff implications, but on the you know and everybody's talking about the playoffs and rightfully so because once the season's over that's what you care about the teams that are playing next week but there's all, there there's always that one game that last week of the year Andrew that's like between teams that are kind of good but aren't you know mediocre they aren't going anywhere but it's just like all on the post game shows everybody's like holy shit did you see that game where so and so they were just scoring points and that was a fun game and i think i think it's going to be the Saints and Carolina um you know, I think the Saints. I think that I think they're going to win. I think I think they, they I think Drew Brees really wants eight and eight, and because he wants eight and eight, everybody else is going to fall in line and really want it as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think the Panthers are going to want to win that game too, though. I think they're going to yeah. want to come to New Orleans and end the year on the good. So I, I think motivation will be about even. Uh, based on the way these teams have been playing the last couple of weeks, I don't feel like it's one of those games where two teams that are out of the playoffs and one of them's not really going to care, you know, and just kind of roll over. So uh, even if it's a, a couple-score game, um, I feel like both teams will fight hard to come back. And that, that's kind of the age-old thing is, you know, you know when teams are eliminated because once it becomes a two-score game, um, the other team that's down two scores then kind of shuts it down. Yeah, uh, They'll play, and they'll play hard up until the point where it's, you know, oh, well, we're down two scores. We're going to have to play really hard to kind of come back and win this one. And that's where they kind of shut it down. But, I think this is a divisional game, and I think Cam Newton is still young. You know, I think he's a young quarterback to where um, he's, he still cares a lot about his identity and his, his, his stats and his, his perception. So I really do think it's going to be a really hard-fought game. So from that standpoint, even though both teams are eliminated, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And if you're in New Orleans, you should definitely go because I think both teams are going to hit hard and they're going to play fast
1: yeah final question and then I'll let it get get out of here and get back to Christmas with your family uh what saints player really needs a good game on Sunday to either stay with the saints or or just it's really important for that player's career to have a good finishing game on Sunday
0: I mean if I have to pick one guy it's probably Patrick Robinson, um, because his season has been full of ups and downs, and I would say more downs than ups. He has really struggled this year and done little to convince me that he is a starting quality corner. Um, I feel pretty good about Albert Mack as a nickel guy. He's he's been pretty good, and Corey White's kind of a player that's rising a little bit, hopefully. Um, But they don't really have anyone behind him that can come in and start. Um, So the real question is, do the Saints feel like – P-Rob can be a long-term mm. starting cornerback. Or if they don't, then they've got to address it in the offseason and get somebody alongside Jabari that can start. So, that to me, that's the big question. And I think he could go a long way by asserting himself in this game and playing well and leaving the coaching staff with the impression of, okay, this guy, you know, he, he's had a rough year, but there's some potential there. He can be a starter. Um, if he has another poor game against Cam Newton, At some point, I think you reach the point where you're like, maybe this guy doesn't have what it takes to be a starter.
1: Yeah, he was going to be my choice, but you you stole it. So I'm going to go with Roman Harper. Um, You know, it's hard to say one game will convince the Saints that, hey, he's worth keeping or he's worth this. But I think a really good game by him could really go a long way. He's got to prove that he's a seven million dollar a year player. I don't know if one what one game could do for him, but I think it's I think it's really, really important that he end on a good note or he may not be with the Saints in twenty thirteen.
0: Yeah, I mean a couple other guys, you know, obviously Cedric Ellis and um, and German Bushrod, I think are two guys whose contracts are gonna be up. So this is their last chance to put something together on tape to convince other teams to sign them as big free agents or um, convince the Saints that they need to reinvest with them in them. So um, those are a couple other guys. I mean' Kirob's definitely my pick because he's under contract and he's coming back. Um, but uh, those two guys I think you look at, Burrod and Ellis, um, you know they' they're, they're going to be hitting the free agency market next year. so they need big games too.
1: Yeah. all right Andrew, thanks for joining me on Christmas Eve. Uh, have a Merry Christmas with uh, you and your family and I will talk to you next week after the Saints wrap up 2012 and then we can start off season and we can start talking about drafts salary caps and free agency and uh hopefully no coaches being suspended in the nfl dropping the bomb on the <laughs> no that would be fun man and uh we'll both in the same
0: game so hopefully uh, we can uh, grab a absolutely, beer before kickoff
1: absolutely my friend